Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Stay tuned for today's sermon. Enjoy, and God bless. So what the program is, the mentorship program, it's this. It is, you have, anybody got an extra insert? I don't have one on right now. But what we're doing is we are, here's the purpose. The purpose of the mentorship program is to get people to have a disciplined devotional life. So what Jas- Pastor Jasper was alluding to is, you know, if your car is out, you go check the most fundamental things. But what's the most fundamental thing of a Christian's life? It's our devotional life. It's how we spend our time with God. So if that's jacked up, everything else is jacked up. If that's inconsistent, everything else will be inconsistent. So we are excited to produce for you this mentorship program because we're going to be doing two things. We're going to be teaching people through mentors how to be have how to have a disciplined disciple, disciplined devotional life. Excuse me. So if you want to be a mentor. We need you to sign up. If you think you are equipped by God to be a mentor and to lead somebody else in their walk with Christ, we need you to sign up. If you think that I need some growing, I got some growing to do, I'm not where I need to be yet, we need you to sign up as a mentee. And you will have somebody mentor you in your walk with Christ and in your daily devotional life. So that's the purpose. We want to equip people to have a disciplined devotional life. What we're going to do is we're going to set up a mentor-mentee program in which everyone who chooses to be involved with it voluntarily will be able to have a mentor and have a mentee. And through that, we're going to develop the uh, devotional program. And all it's going to be is a 21-day period where the mentor is teaching the mentee how to read and how to pray and how to go through the Word. How to read, how to pray, and how to go through the Word. It's paramount that we have a devotional life. But some of y'all aren't like me. And I mean that respectfully. My dad taught me how to read. He taught me how to pray. He taught me how to do all those things. Some people never grew up in church. They never had something like that happen for them. So how else are you going to learn it unless somebody teaches you? So that's why we have this program. We are so excited. I've just spent the last uh, about 30 days or so being mentored by Pastor Jasper, and it has been a tremendous blessing to me. I have grown leaps and bounds, and so I'm excited. If it works for me, I believe it will work for you. So if you're ready to be a leader for God, you want to be a discipler, sign up for the program. If you want to be a disciple of God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, sign up for the program. Write your name at the bottom, your phone number, email, and just put it in the offering envelope um, at the end of the uh, at the end of the word. Amen. So hold that May 10th. We're going to be going through this. We're going to uh, be pumping it this Sunday, next Sunday, and the 31st. On the 31st, we're going to have a mentor meeting. So everybody who signed up to be a mentor. We need you at that meeting. It's going to be immediately following church so we can show you how to be a mentor to your mentee. So I'm more than excited about this. If I could jump out of my skin, I probably would, but I'm going to, I'm going to calm down, and we're just going to get to the word. Amen? Amen. So uh, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in um, Restoration Church. We thank you for the souls that were saved and the souls that were brought into your kingdom, baptized into your kingdom uh, through the Vietnamese church. And God, we thank you for all that you're doing. Right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you open up our eyes and open up our hearts and expose darkness, Jesus. Help us to not be wise in our own eyes, but be humble as children and say, teach me, Lord. Teach me, Father. I want to learn. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor and all the praise. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jasper, did you get that, um, did you happen to get that video up? If you didn't, it's okay. Okay, don't worry about it. Um, what the video I was going to show was, how many of y'all, who likes those Geico commercials? Anybody like those Geico commercials? Okay. Uh, I, they're hilarious to me. So back in 2004, there was a Geico commercial. They released a series of ads. And the series of ads were entitled, It's So Easy, A Caveman Can Do It. <laughs> now, these commercials were absolutely hilarious to me. The very first one of these commercials had a spokesperson coming up, and he's like, Geico.com is so easy to use. A caveman can do it. And out of nowhere, you see the mic pan, and this caveman is holding a boom mic and says, what? That's not cool. And he just throws the boom mic down and walks off in anger. And he's so mad that he's been stereotyped as a caveman, saying that I can't do anything. And he just shouts off in rage. And I am just rolling on the floor because he don't have no shirt on. All of his hair is just showing. And it's like he's a regular person, but a caveman. And it just... It blessed my laughter in the, in, that, in the laughter part of my soul. So what was Geico trying to convey in that um, message, in those, in those advertisements? Well, they were trying to convey that the use of the website, Geico.com, was easy and understandable. You could understand it and grasp it with no problems. You see, in 2004, the internet was still kind of coming out. I mean, it wasn't new anymore, but people still weren't necessarily used to it. And we are still trying to get used to Geico.com, even though it was a really simple tool. And it's amazing that Geico.com was really simple, and all these other different things we do are really simple. But we as people can take something really, really simple and make it really, really complex. I mean, unnecessarily complex. Let's take weight loss, for example. I got a dear friend named, dear friend and mentor named Matt, uh, Matt McDonald. Matt has lost 40 pounds this year. And so every time somebody will come up to him, they'll ask him, this is like, Matt, Matt, Matt. They don't, they're, not that, they're not that excited. But they're just like, Matt, how did, you, how did you lose all this weight? And he just says, I cut carbs. And everybody's like, either they have some type of shocked or like puzzled look. Or they kind of lean in a little gent gentle, and then they just say, and? Like, they're waiting on, you cut carbs, and you did Insanity, and you did P90X, and you ran a soccer team, and you were in the soccer team. You were the goalie and the striker and the midfielder, all the same. Like, they're looking for something complex. And Matt would just say, no, I pretty much just cut carbs. And that was it. And in people's minds, uh, the thought comes in some way, shape, or form that there must be more to it than that. I mean, the weight loss industry is a multi-billion dollar industry with millions of people spending hundreds of dollars a year just to keep their weight under control. You mean to tell me with a multi-billion dollar industry making all this money on this product, the answer cannot be as simple as burn more calories than you take in. But it really is that simple. It's actually quite amazing how so many of us ignore the simple answer for a more complex one. The simple answer is always the best place to start. So let's take your car, for example. Use that same analogy. We're taking your car, and your car won't start. 
It's not starting. So you try to make sure. Let me make sure it's not starting for real, for real. It's not starting. Tell me, what do you think would be the best thing to do? Would it make the most sense to get out of your car, take the tire off, and change the brake, put the brake pad back on, put the tire back on, and then go in the car and go, wouldn't make sense. What if you took the whole engine out and you replaced the transmission and everything, then you put the engine back in, and you still went, would that make sense? What if you went to go check the windshield wiper fluid? That light's always on. That, that would make the most sense, right? You see, the easiest, the most simple answer is always the best place to start. Now, let's translate that to how we relate to God. Our greatest need in life is to know God and be in fellowship with him. Spending time with Jesus is the best way to cultivate a relationship with him. It's really that simple. I'll say it again. Our greatest need in life is to know God and be in fellowship with him. Spending time with Jesus is the best way to cultivate a relationship with him. It really is that simple. But unfortunately, people and Satan have teamed up and distorted this truth and made it so complicated to relate to God. You hear lies like, uh, you can just be mindful and just be aware of your surroundings and your aura uh, and just be grateful. That's what life is really about. Or you hear this lie like, all paths lead to God. Just choose the one that works for you. We're good. Maybe you heard this lie right here. Well, if I just go to church every Sunday, I'll be a good person. What about this one? Who can really know God? He's an infinite being, and we can never actually know an infinite. The list goes on. The lies and all the things we tell ourselves go on. However, if you have ever really wanted to know God or deepen your relationship with him, it's really simple. Pray and be alone with God. Pray and be alone with God. You often hear the phrase, where is God? How can I find him? How can I know him? How can I have a relationship with him? Where is God in my life? And the answer is really, really, really simple. God is found in the secret place. He's found in your closet. If you're looking for God, I've found him for you. He's in your closet. Just go to your closet, close the door, and just talk to your heavenly Father. You're looking for God. You're looking for answers. You're looking for truths. Where do you go? Where do you turn to? What do you do? Start the least common denominator. Go to your prayer closet, close the door, and spend time with God. It really is that simple. I get it. Maybe you don't believe me. Maybe you don't think that our greatest need in life is to know God and be in fellowship with him. Fair enough. You're entitled to your opinion, but let me give you a little history lesson about God. You see, God has divine aseity. The aseity of God, A-S-E-I-T-Y, 
The aseity of God simply means that he exists by himself, independent of anything else. God has never come into being, and he'll never go out of being. He is a necessary entity in which all of creation is dependent upon him to sustain it. Psalms 90 verses 1 through 4 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to death saying, return to death, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Nehemiah 9 and 6 says, You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, and the seas and everything that's within them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. And I'm even reminded of our friend Moses um, in Exodus 3 and 14. Moses is having a conversation with God, and he asks God, what is your name? And God says to Moses, I am that I am. It's, it's such a God answer. I am that I am. God exists independent of this world. If the universe never existed, then God would still be I am that I am. <laughs> we, on the other hand, are not independent. We are so far from independent, it doesn't even make any sense. We are in a constant state of dependence. We are in dependence. Like, we, you can't even control your heartbeat. Like, it is moving right now involuntarily of what you say or do. You are breathing right now involuntarily. Even when you go eat your food, it's going to start to digest itself without you even paying any attention to the process. And might I suggest to you that you don't even really know how healthy you are until you get sick. I dislocated my jaw in July, and it sucked. It was terrible, it terrible, terrible, it sucked. But I had no clue how much you needed, your, how many different things your jaw was doing for you. Like, I couldn't swallow because I couldn't close my mouth, and your tongue needs to be able to rest on the top of your jaw, but I couldn't let my tongue rest on the top of my jaw because my jaw is dislocated. So every time, I was, every time saliva went down the back of my throat, I felt like I was choking. I was in a lot of pain. It just, it was not a fun experience. I had a, a, a relative whose bowel was locked up on them. So that sucks, not being able to uh, release your body of waste. And this, their body was unable to perform a very routine activity. And because they were no longer able to release waste, they now were being poisoned from the inside out. And it's easy to take something as simple as going to the restroom for granted when you don't have to even think about it. We can get sick at any moment, and it would com be completely out of our control. We are creatures desperately dependent upon God, whether we realize it or not. And as a matter of fact, the only thing we really have control over is our ability to choose. That's it. If you're driving and there's a car to the left and to the right of you, do you have any say-so on what they do in or with their car? 
No, all you can do is control what's inside of you. Your choice is the only thing that you have control over. And it's kind of amazing that that's really the only thing that we have control over, yet somehow we do all these different things to put ourselves in a position of control. If you look at the book of Acts, chapter 17 and 18, it's a great reminder of how much control we really don't have. Chapter 17, verse 28, Paul lets the world know that in God we live, we move, and have our being. The verse says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And all that really is saying is that because of God, we begin to live and exist. We had a beginning. And now because of God, we're able to move at this present moment. We are alive at this present moment, and we can go from place to place. We move because of him. And because of God, we have our being. That means we continue to exist even into the future, and we get to live on into eternity. In him, we live, we move, and we have our being. That's what that verse is really trying to say. So it's, we see that we are very, 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 very dependent upon God. We need him for everything. We need him for life. And we need to know him. And we need to know that about ourselves. But it's important to understand, however, that knowing God isn't enough. It's just not enough. It's important that we have fellowship with God. And on top of that, this fellowship can't be a pen pal relationship. Somebody you write to every six months and don't talk to them again. It can't just be a pen pal relationship. This has to be the most important relationship in your life. Did you know that you could know the entire Bible front to back and have no relationship with God? Did you know that you can know more word than the Pope, than T.D. Jakes, than Paula White, than Pastor Huey, and everybody else you can think of combined? Know all of these different scriptures and still not have a relationship with Jesus. You can come to church every single Sunday, every single prayer meeting, every single Wednesday night Bible study, and still not have a relationship with God. Why is that? It's because to get to know somebody, you actually have to interact with them. It doesn't matter how many times you write to your long-distance uh, friend or pen pal, uh, your relationship will change instantly once you actually get to see a picture of that person. And I'll take it a step further. Your relationship will change even more once you actually get to have a face-to-face -face conversation with that person. Why is that? Because nothing develops relationship like person-to-person -person interaction. But maybe you're like me, and maybe you said that God's invisible, and he seems so far away. How can I have a personal relationship with God? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 17 again. And this time we'll start at verse 24, and we're going to go through verse 28. So Acts 17, verses 24 through 28. When you got it, say, I got it. And when you're looking on the screen, say, I'm seeing it on the screen. And it reads, the God who made the world made everything in it, and he is the Lord of the heavens and the earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, 
Rather, he himself gives life to everyone and breath and everything else. From out of one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek after him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live, we move, we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. The Bible says that God isn't far away from us. So, yes, I know that God is invisible, but he's still not far away from us. Do you know where he is? Right next to you, even in this moment. But do you know where he really, really is? He's right here in that prayer closet. He's right here waiting to meet you alone just to have a conversation with him. But maybe you're saying, or maybe you're like me. Maybe it is so hard to relate to God. It's so hard. I mean, God's not, he's not next to me. He's not a person. I can't talk to him like I could somebody right next to me. It's so hard to relate to God. And I just, I have trouble and I have difficulty with relating to God. And, and I get it. And I get it. God is incorporeal, meaning that he doesn't have a corpse. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't have hands. He doesn't have arms. He doesn't have feet. He doesn't have a mouth. And so it's, I get it. It's hard. It's very hard to understand that. But the thing we have to re realize and remember that even though he doesn't have a body, he does have spirit. He is spirit. And what did God call us in verse 28? He said, we, Paul says that he says of us, we are his offspring. That means even when we don't fully understand him, he still calls us his offspring. He still calls us his children. He is still relating to us even when we can't or even we don't even when we feel like we don't have the ability to relate to him. And the reason why it's so hard to relate to him, because we're trying to relate to God as if he is flesh, but God is trying to remind us that he is spirit. So it's so difficult when you're trying to work something in the flesh when you need to start. But when you get an understanding that you are not just flesh and bones, but you are body, soul, and spirit, and you realize that your Father in heaven is a spirit, and you remember the verse when Jesus was talking to the woman at the uh, well, when he said, my people shall worship me in spirit and in truth, it changes the whole game. Because now you come to God, and you come to your heavenly Father as if he is spirit, and you have a personal spirit-to-spirit -spirit interaction. Because even though you may not understand him in your flesh, you can understand him in your spirit. And I promise you, God understands your spirit. And when you sit down and open up before God, he will be known in spirit. He'll be known in spirit. So I get it. You don't feel like you can relate to God. But he is relatable. He is our father. And he wants us to know him. And maybe you're thinking, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've gone through. There's no way on God's green earth that I can have a relationship with God. You're right. I don't know what you've been through. But God knows. And not only does he know, if we look at verse 26 and 27, he says that every nation has been mapped out with an appointed time. 
just so people would look and they would long for God. Some translations say grope for God. What does that mean to you and I? That means that the best spot that we could ever be in to be in fellowship with God is this moment right now in history. This is the best place to be in fellowship with God. God has orchestrated everything just to give you the best chance to long for him. No experience you have will go to waste. Everything about your life, including all of your experiences, has brought you or will, brought you or will bring you to a place where you will long for God. He is waiting to finally be alone with you. And you know what? He's got something he wants to tell you. So it's vital that we cultivate this relationship with God. Now, it's important to note that this fellowship is not just for salvation, but it's also for God to shape us into the best version of ourselves. Jesus came into this world to give us life and to give us life more abundantly or life to the full. God is trying to turn you into exactly the person he has in mind for you to be. Romans 8 and 29 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You are, every one of you all who is a believer in Jesus Christ, you're to be a person of power. You're to be a person who's free, free from everything, every bondage, I should say. You are supposed to be a person who can give love and receive love freely. You should be happy. You should be fulfilled. You should be a person who has vision and clarity about your future. You should be a person that has no darkness inside of you whatsoever, period, point blank, end of story. And if you're lacking in any of these areas, then you aren't the best version of yourself. And your father is trying to perfect you. Now, how does God perfect us? He perfects us in relationship. Now, where does God perfect us? He perfects us in the secret place, in relationship, in our prayer closet. It really is that simple. It really is that simple. Do you desire to know God? Do you desire to have a relationship with him? Well, you can find him in your prayer closet. Do you desire to have more of God? Are you hungry for God? Do you have a passion for God? Do you want to experience more of his wisdom and more of his power and more of his authority in your life? Well, you can find that in the prayer closet. So many times when we're looking for more of God, we do something else besides just spend more time with him. We'll I'm not against books. I'm not against new uh, quotations. I'm not against new ventures. But the least common denominator, the thing we should first do would be seek God just by yourself. I'm amazed at how many times, when I, as I was preparing for this sermon, how many times I went to a Google search to look up an answer as opposed to just going to God and saying, Lord, teach me. Lord, show me. Father God, what do you say about this? Lord, help me understand this. Cultivate a relationship with him. And praise God that I realized that. And then I started changing my behavior to say, Lord, I want to know what you say about this first. So if you want to grow in godliness, grow in your secret place discipline. 
It really is that simple. And I get it. You may be thinking to yourself that there's no way it's just that simple. Just talk with God and be alone with him. And you may be thinking that this can't be true. But I promise you it is. Just look at how Jesus viewed prayer. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Early in the morning, or in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place where he was praying. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says, But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. In Matthew 14, verse 23 After he had sent the crowds away, he went onto the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Jesus frequently spent hours before the sun came up in prayer. He would pray way into the night. He would spend time with God in the morning and the evening. He would talk to God before lunch and pray before lunch. He would pray before people. God spent time in prayer. He would even, as the verse said, slip away just to be alone with God. Now, I'm not saying that you have to pray all night. I'm not necessarily saying that. But what I am saying is that Jesus put an emphasis on prayer. And anything you wake up and do before the sun gets up, you are dedicated to it. Anything that you do before I see the sun and I wake up and do it, you must be really dedicated and really focused on it. And this is so important because what is Jesus trying to show us through this? He's trying to show us that it's all about relationship. The Pharisees had the word of God, but guess what they didn't have? A relationship. Prayer is the way that we cultivate this relationship. The alone time is where the relationship is cultivated. You can have a whole bunch of word and no power. You can have a whole bunch of word and no relationship. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. And that's why Paul warns us uh, when he's talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, about men who are all talk and no walk. He says that they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And Paul says, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind whom their, that whom their way into home that's not right. What did it even say up there? They are the kind who go into a home and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. They are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. I encourage you, saints, to not just know God in name but know him in relationship. Amen? That made me feel like I'm pulling teeth today. I don't know what it is. Maybe I, I can't figure out what it is. Y'all, help me figure out. I can't, I can't figure out what it is. I don't know. We'll, we'll get there. It's all about the relationship. And at this point, some people might be saying, still, I don't get how simple it could be. God is an infinite being. There's no way on God's green earth that we can know an infinite being. He's infinitely complex. It's too hard. You can't really know him. And yes, God is complex. We're not running away from that. But that doesn't mean that he's not simple as well. You can crack open any calculus book in America. And when you open a book, you know what you're going to see? Addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Somewhere in that book, you're going to see 2 plus 2 equals 4. 
simple. You can look at Romeo and Juliet or go read through any dissertation that a professor has written. And you know what that dissertation is going to be comprised of? Words and letters. Words and letters. So just as calculus and a dissertation can be reduced to fundamental concepts, so too can we know an infinite God through our secret place. It really is that simple. Now today I'm not going to really talk about um, how to spend or maintain your, uh, a consistent devotional life or a consistent relationship with God. That's what the mentorship program will be about, so I'm, in, I'm encouraging you. I'm excited about it. If you want to mentor somebody or if you want to grow in godliness, sign up for the program. We need you. We need men and women who want to be disciples and want to be disciplers. We need you. We need you. We need you. So I encourage you to sign up for that program. But I'm also not going to really talk about that because it's honestly very simple concepts. If you want to spend more time with God, turn the TV off. Wake up earlier. Go to bed later. You don't have to eat lunch. Or you can eat a really fast lunch and then go to God in prayer. Everybody here can agree with me that if something is a priority for you, guess what you're going to do? You're going to do it. You're going to make time for it one way or another. So there is a training to it and a growth in that, but it's basically simple. So rather today, I'm going to focus on a couple of reasons why we don't spend time with God. So one of the reasons why we don't spend time with God is this. It's because one of our most basic moral instincts as human beings is to reject God. So whenever somebody's trying to grow in godliness, your rejection instincts will just kick in. Like it's just a barrier that will stop God from coming in. Now, this next point, I'm half joking and I'm half serious. But if you're like me, when I started getting serious about the Lord and I really started reading my Bible, Sleep would come out of nowhere and start having a conversation with me. And I would really, and I would start reading, in the beginning was, in the beginning was, and I'm trying to stay, I'm like, what did I slept for 14 hours straight? How is this even possible? But somehow, some way, that sleep would just come in into your house and just say, hey, I'm here. Why does that happen? Because we and the devil reject God. It just, it's, it's an instinct of ours. It's a basic instinct. And we have to fight it. We have to say, I don't want anything to do with that. Or maybe you're like me when Jesus starts dealing with you about having a conversation with somebody. When he st- first started dealing with me about having a conversation with somebody, about whether it be thank you or praying for him, whatever it may be, I would see that person and almost instantaneously, it was amazing, I would somehow create an infinite, nearly infinite list of reasons why I should not talk to that person. Like, it would come in mere seconds. Like, I would hear the voice and be like, but, whoosh. And it was, it's, it's nonsense. But, why is that happening? It's because that basic instinct comes to reject the growth, reject the truth. And we have to fight it. We have to push past that. You've got to know your enemy. And you know that rejection will come in some way, shape, or form. And you eventually, as you push through that, God's going to give you new instincts. He said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is new. You are new. You are new. The old things have passed away. So now when I get on the elevator and I'm next to somebody, it's not, oh, Lord, don't, 
I got to say something to him? It, it's turned into, Lord, in my heart and in my spirit, I pray for the even, as soon as I get on the elevator, what would you have me to say to this person? It's the instincts have now been reversed, but I had to persevere in that. I knew the rejection was there, but you got to just push past that. So a second reason why we don't, why we overcomplicate it and why we make it simple and why, why we don't keep it simple and why we don't do it. We don't do it because human beings by nature resist change. Do you know what a relationship with God signifies? It signifies change. Not only are you changing how you spend your time, but God is coming to change you. He is coming to fix something, correct something, move something, do something. And most people won't come out and say, I don't want to spend time with God because I don't want to change. You ain't going to hear that. It's just That will not be their first or true response. You're going to hear things like, I'm so busy. I'm so tired. It's so boring when I pray. I mean, what do I say? Our Father, God in heaven, it's so boring. You hear all these different things, or I don't understand it, or it doesn't make sense to me, or I'm, all the, we get it. We get all the different lame excuses. They come and they just come. But it's interesting that most people, when they're seeking God, they truly believe in their heart that a relationship with God will positively impact their lives. Most people believe that, and yet we struggle spending time with him. And so rather, rather than spending time with God, what unfortunately many, many people will do is instead of spending time to know the one true and living God, they will go out and they will make up a God and start worshiping and serving that. What do I mean by that? Instead of spending time with God, you will tell yourself, well, you know what? It's okay if I sleep with somebody before I'm married. God understands. It's all good. And whatever you have just done, you have exchanged the true God for what we call an idol. Or you'll tell yourself, it's okay to tell a little white lie. It's okay to have a little bit of fear. It's okay to have a little bit of doubt that's ungodly and unbiblical and it's no truth. It's, it's okay to have all that. And what are you doing? You are forming what we call an idol. Listen, if you make up any God outside of the one true God to suit your own personal desires, that makes you an idolater. If you make up any God to suit your own personal desires, that makes you an, idol an idolater. I've even heard this one right here. They have a God that says, you know what? My God says that I can forgive people. I ain't got to forget what they did, though. They do all, we do all these different things, and it's not, we don't have to do that. So I get it. I get that change is difficult and change is hard. It's not easy to confront change, and no one wants to naturally do it. However, I am reminded of a song, and it's of a song by a hip-hop artist whose name is Andy Minia. And in this particular song, he is, uh, the name of the song is called Tug of War. And in this, he's having a battle in his heart between what to do and what not to do. And in the song, he writes, I've got two choices, and they both require pain. One's the pain of change, but the other one is the pain of staying the same. One of the, changes lead, one of the choices leads to joy. The other one leads to shame. One of them leads to freedom, freedom while the other one keeps me in chains. You've got a choice. It's the only thing you control. But what you do with that choice will either keep you in freedom 
or it's going to keep you in chains. And the beautiful thing about God is that he helps us make the decision to make better decisions. I know it can be difficult to spend time with God, but if you spend time with him, he will change your life. It really is that simple. So I'd just like to close with this thought. If we go back to our car analogy, we remember that the simplest answer is usually the best place to start. If you're trying to turn your car on and it won't come on, just start with the question, is there any gas in the car? Well, picture your life as the car and the gas as your relationship with Jesus. If the car doesn't start, it doesn't make sense to go out and rotate all the tires, get back in, and try to start the car. Many people are trying to understand things. They're trying to understand why aren't things going the way they should. Why am I failing in this area? Why can't I break this addiction? Why am I struggling with this? Why am I not a good husband or a good wife or a good friend? And I just got one simple question for you. Is there any gas in the car? If the car don't start, that's the first place we ought to start. Not having a disciplined devotional life is like having a car with no gas. You can get from one place to another, but you're going to be doing all the work on your own, pushing it from one place to another. And you won't get anywhere with any real effectiveness. Not having a disciplined devotional life is like being a barren woman or a sterile man. You've got all the equipment necessary to produce life. However, you are unable to produce any. Translation, you can have a whole bunch of the word. You can know the Bible front to back. You can have a whole lot of scriptures memorized. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've got no power to do anything in your life. You've got no power to change any situation in your life. You've got no power to change any circumstance in your life. So let's keep it simple on today. Let's keep it simple. Do you want to find God? I've already found him for you. It's right here in your prayer closet. Do you want to grow in godliness? Are you, are you honestly saying to yourself, Lord, I want more of you? Have you ever said that? More of you and less of me. I can tell you where more is found. It's found right there in your prayer closet. He is in the secret place. All you have to do is just pray. Just pray. Just pray. And that concludes today's sermon. Thanks again for tuning in to the Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We pray that today's message has encouraged and empowered your journey in following Jesus. If you'd like to learn more about Restoration Church, please visit our website by going to r4sq.org. We pray you have a great week. God bless.